What's going on, guys? Take the World Podcast. I'm Hanada Melendez, and today I got to interview a really good friend of mine, Ty Zesueta, and this podcast was really raw. We just kind of talked. Uh, we used a different app to record it just to see how well it recorded our conversations, and I think it came out really well. There are some pauses in between the audio Please bear with me. I've been trying to edit it, and it's just not happening. So I think there's a lot of valuable content in it, and I think you guys will enjoy what he has to say about the future of technology and the world. What's going on, guys? I'm Hanada Melendez. And I'm Ty Sisweta. And on today's podcast, we're just going to cover some collaborative ideas that we're going to have for future podcasts, some topics that we're going to talk about, and also give our backgrounds. So, Ty, if you'd like to start. Yeah, my name is Ty Sisweta, like I said earlier, and uh, I got out of the Army last year, 2018, in February. And in August of 2018, I started going to college using the GI Bill. That's where I met Yanaro here. Yeah, so pretty much same thing. Um, I got out last August. I'm actually going to school for exercise science, uh, using the GI Bill as well. And um, Ty, what are you going for? So I'm going for physics. Uh, if it all works out with the VA, then I might have funding for a PhD through the Voc Rehab program. Yep. Uh, it's, it's an awesome possibility. We're, we're looking into that. We both are. Yeah. Um, so what I want to talk about today is just your purpose for going to school and what you would like to do with it. Well, for me, that starts with my purpose of going to school being I want to see space colonization. Uh, it was right after I got out of the Army that I started looking into the matter and realized that it's about time for me to get in. If, if I'm ever going to do it, now's the time, especially with having the GI Bill post-Army. Uh, that definitely helps a lot. How about you, Yunar? So I want to go to school first to get a bachelor's in exercise science, but then I want to get a PhD in either chiropractic or physical therapy. Uh, my goal is to just help people that live with injuries that have been injured due to a military experience or uh, exercise, sports, things like that. I would like to work with like top level people, top level athletes. So what kind of experience do you have in this so far? Like what, what inspired you more to want to do this? So I, well, one, I, I started working out when I was 18, lost a hundred pounds, joined the army. Um, but I got into a car accident in 2016, which ultimately led up to me getting medically separated from the army due to nerve damage in my neck. I went through two years of physical therapy, chiropractor, dry needling, things like that. And I really learned to respect the craft. And I really saw how it helps people that live with chronic pain. And I feel like that's something that I could do for the rest of my life and feel fulfilled. Yeah, so it's my understanding too that you have some experience with personal training in the gym, right? Yeah, I, I train people. Uh, I try to write programs for people for their specific goals as best as possible um, with also an emphasis on staying injury free and helping any kind of injuries that they do have. Uh, it, it's a lot of research put into it. It's a lot of time, but it's something that I think is worth it in the end. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think that's a big thing going forward is that we have a um have a level of sports medicine that kind of is preventative instead of just treatment-based, you know? Too many, uh, too many boxers, particularly, I hear. You know, people in, like, MMA are just getting massive head injuries and getting back into the game, and it's like, that isn't really something that's sustainable. So I, I give you props, man, for going into this field. It sounds like you're really passionate about it. Yeah, man, it's, um... I think that a lot of people spend too much time healing an injury instead of preventing an injury, like you said. Mm -hmm. And we don't have enough, in my opinion, we don't have enough things set up that, especially in combat sports or in combat in general for like the military, that we have preventative action 
how many people in the military have, you know, fractures in their hips or elbow, elbow pains or knee pains or whatever it is that like affects them in the long run. But at the time we didn't think to prevent it in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so for me, uh, as we said, I'm going into physics. One of the big things with me is space colonization. So that's one thing Yanaro and I started talking about too, was the applicability of his, uh, career field in space and it's like that's a big thing because what we talked about is like maintaining muscle mass and all that how astronauts work out things like that so between the two of us we've definitely been able to kind of mesh our ideas which i think is cool um so what's next in terms of like personal goals for you in this so for right now i'm just i'm going after certain certifications that i feel are valuable in the uh personal training field while still going to school for it. But um, talking about like space colonization and things like that is, it spiked my interest in looking up like, like you said, like um, astronauts, their diets, their exercise regimen, because you have to be in a certain shape to be an astronaut. Like it's been proven, like they have health tests, they have physical tests, they have- yeah, the whole program. Yeah. And um, so, so what, where can exercise science or physical therapy or chiropractor or any kind of exercise related field be applied to make them one, more likely to be able to go to space and then two, sustain a healthy body while they're in space. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So if in say like 15, 20 years, you got your PhD, you're working on your own research and NASA comes to you and they're like, what? We want you to work on the space program with us. Would you? Would you be willing to do that? Yes. Yeah. You'd yeah. That, that would be. That would be awesome, man. Like, just so y'all know, like meeting Ty, I didn't even know what physics was. Like, <laughs> I seriously didn't. This guy knows how to break things down to the point where, like, even I can understand. And if you ever ever heard me talk before, you know I'm not the most savvy guy when it comes to technical terms, but. I can get the job done with understanding and, and that's what he's been able to do for me. Um, if NASA knocked on my door and was like, hey man, you're the guy we pick, I'd have no choice. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have no choice, man, I'd have no choice. Yeah. But on the flip side, I think that we should emphasize like why NASA is going to pick you and why, yeah. So I want, I want you to tell them about this um, what is it, the summer thing you're going to do? Uh, the yes. internship. Yeah. Tell them a little bit about that. And also give, give a little background on like what you know about quantum physics and uh, especially quantum computers because that blew my mind. Sure, sure. But uh, yeah, so give, give us a little background on that. So going back to 2012, I attended a college called the Conservatory of Recording Arts and Sciences. And it was there that I learned about wave theory and particle physics. Fast forward after four years in the army, a few years as a civilian, and now I'm to the point where I've really wanted to expand my knowledge on particle physics. Really kind of just find out what it is. And the most interesting thing to me since I've gotten into this has been quantum mechanics. Um, so like, Yanaro and I have talked extensively on quantum computers and that caveats into this internship that I'm trying to get this summer at the University of Southern California Information Sciences Institute. They have a quantum computing center there, which uses the D-Wave quantum computer developed by uh, Jordy Rose and his crew out of Canada. And the reason I want to work in that is because it to me seems very apparent that going forward with space exploration, that we're gonna need quantum computers to do some of the real heavy stuff in terms of math and um, like big data. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. I've been studying quantum physics on my own for almost a year now plus, and pretty much in my free time I spend uh, reading peer-reviewed papers on quantum mechanics and computers. So yeah. So with <clears throat> so with space colonization. And this is another thing. I, I think that there's a there's an obligation for people that are uh, intelligent at higher levels 
that they do things, in my opinion, that they do good. You know right. what I'm saying? Sure. Because if you have the level of intelligence required to do amazing things, um, it's very easy to turn them negative. Yeah. So I would like you to tell the listener your reason for wanting space colonization and also break down the same way you've broken down to me of how you believe that in space colonies you should almost be it's it's like giving people a second chance yeah so this idea came to me um through a couple years of really thinking about space colonization uh maybe starting back as far as when i was a child and i watched star trek and shows like that but the idea that sat with me was that through the use of technology, we can basically make our lives easier. Um, there's this term called ephemeralization by Buckminster Fuller, and he talks about in this ephemeralization, it's the, basically the concept to do everything with nothing. And so I think right now, technologically speaking, we're at a place where we can do a lot with very little technologically. I mean, if you look at your cell phone, it's a perfect example. How much can you cram into that? If you look at our storage capacity right now in digital mediums, that is so vast. You could store like almost a lifetime of memories on a tiny little USB chip. And so going forward with that sort of expansion of technology, I think that what it's going to come down to, especially with what NASA's been putting out about CO2 emissions and how bad that is, I think that we're going to get to the point where we're going to have to go to space. And I think that if we have to go to space, we should do it in the most luxurious way possible via technology. That technology can have um, prefabricated homes. We could have agriculture that's basically uh, generated in colonies and is maintained by systems in the colony. Now, one of the big things with quantum computers is how they're capable of crunching so many numbers at one time. Uh, If you compare quantum computing to, say, classical computing, the power you get in one qubit is pretty vast compared to one bit of information. And so what the qubit can do is it allows superpositions, superpositions being one of the main quantum mechanics. And when something's in a superposition, it's kind of here, nor there, and everywhere. It's a very weird thing. Uh, We'll go into that in a further episode for sure. But what I really see with space colonization is giving everyone on Earth who's been kind of beat down by the system a new opportunity. Now... The naysayers would say, well, isn't that like a socialist utopia? Not really. I think that's a futurist utopia. Uh, The idea of resource management being kind of redone and revised for a new world isn't something new. It's not something I've come up with either. There have been plenty of people who've talked about it before. Uh, The Venus Project, you should Google that, is something I highly recommend. They talk about, they were saying about 10 years ago, that we have all of the resources on Earth and the capacity for manufacturing right now to basically make it so that there was no need in the world by tomorrow morning. The only problem with that is, of course, the infrastructure required for a system that could do that for everyone and to implement it. I think going forward, if we start thinking about implementing now, then we have a higher potential of having a better future and a future in space. Yeah, and so you you hit on something, and and this made me like think of an idea, and so it was it was the Joe Rogan podcast where he was talking to Neil deGrasse Tyson, okay. and he said that if tomorrow we found out that there was a meteor that was going to hit the Earth in a month, that there would be no more borders, that every scientist, every military, every everything would come together because now everyone's at danger. Everybody's at risk. So to carry that over into space colonization and essentially the deterioration deterioration Mm -hmm. of Earth right now, that like it could come to a point where we all need to work together to make space colonies a thing. Right. And if we're all at this need of it, then... 
I think that's where like there's no budgets, there's no like there's no country racing the other country to get there first, and when you talk about like second chances and like a futuristic utopia, it's like a carryover of the things you have to deal with on Earth you shouldn't have to deal with in the space colonies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, from what I see, it would be something like, you know, kind of like what you said about like, we have everything on Earth to, to like get rid of people's needs, desires, but yet we have countries that are starving, countries that are at war, countries that are, you know, just whatever it is. And I think it comes down like to the core value of wealth. Sure. And it comes down to like, generations of countries having less money or less resource or recently within the last 100 years went through civil war mm -hmm. whatever it is and so i think that like something about like a space colony where you go up there this is a new start there's no money because you have all the resources you need to live it gives an edge to whatever we've established here yeah. because i think that like the opportunity that we did have here to make everything so great <clears throat> wasn't truly a fair opportunity because most countries developed in survival. Right. You know right. what I'm saying? Well, that's the thing, <laughs> saying this from the privileged position of being an American. Like, yeah, yeah. But um, that's the thing I think when you look at American history is that we pretty much just got together and said we don't want it to be as bad as it is other places as Americans. Yep. And ultimately, I think that that sort of concept will carry over. I mean, we've gotten to the point, and maybe this isn't mainstream discussion yet, but, like, Earth is absolutely in shambles. Yeah. This is the worst, and it's said to be the worst, in carbon emissions from here on forward since, I think, the year... Shoot. I want to say it's definitely 2000s, if I remember right, but since the early 2000s, we've been in a state of no return with mm -hmm. how the earth is environmentally. And so I would hope that going forward, we would want to put our best foot forward. If we don't need to go to space worrying about money or the, the markets, things like that, then why should we go to space and worry about those things? These aren't problems that humanity has had for the entirety of their existence. They're things that have popped up mostly since, I would say, the Industrial Revolution. <clears throat> but... That doesn't mean that we need to continue to carry this baggage with us forward. We can take better parts we have now of our society and technology and sciences and go off planet with those. Have you ever heard the, um, I don't know who has the quote, but the quote is something around like, human beings are the only animal that pays to live on earth. <laughs> and I mean, it, it is like, yeah. it, it, if you really, I mean, if you really think about it, like, Shelter, like if you talk about basic human needs, shelter, food, water, we're the only animals that pay for it. Yeah. And to think that because we've established money or whatever, like, and I'm not saying that money's a bad thing. Um, it can be. It can be. Because we've established it, there is people that go without food and go without shelter and go without water because they don't have any money. And so if we're going to break it down to every country, and America being, to me, the greatest country in the world, if we truly believe in just basic human rights, then why is food, shelter, and water not free for everyone? Right. Why isn't it across the board? Why can I go down the street? I live in Colorado Springs. Why can I go down the street and I see homeless people all the time? The argument I would make for that is that there is no profit in free food or water. Yep. And unfortunately, we found ourselves in a profit-based society yep. where everything you got to do is you got to be based off profit. Now, <clears throat> I think that can easily be remedied um, with the right technologies and I guess the right philosophies. However, what I would like to see in our lifetimes is the development of technologies that renders the concept of money obsolete. Mm. Where when my children go to look at money, they're like, what is this? And yeah. I have to try to explain to them that it used to hold an intrinsic value yeah. that I really can't explain to them outside of just trust me, it used to be important. Yeah. 
that's absolutely, I think, within our reach right now. In terms of our sciences and technology, it's never been better than this. Now, it can be better, certainly. We're kind of, I would say, in the middle of the staircase. But we have no intents of turning back in terms of sciences and technologies. So what that tells me is that science and technology will just continue to increase. And if you look back historically, money actually came up with, well, the concept of currency, I guess, at large, came up with society. It kind of was built in, um, I guess you could say, function of our society. And that's the thing I think that gets a lot of people, is they just feel that it's something that has to be a part of their lives. And then you read the history books, and you look people as far back as Rome, and Rome even had coins. And so most people think that because of the way their life is now, and the way that history teaches people lived previously, and I mean, I'm not saying history is lying, but we think that this thing that we've created is important when in reality it's not. And I think that's why I I tried to emphasize like with the intelligence comes a responsibility. Sure, sure. And so if somebody takes what you're saying about space colonization and the idea of no money and just basically like a second chance, like Mm -hmm. you said, then you could do it on the flip side. And more realistic is like, not more realistic, but I I think like if we were to follow the way that history has made itself, then when I think about space colonization, I would say the rich people would get to go to Mars Mm -hmm. and they would buy their ticket on the aircraft. And as Earth is destroying itself, Mm -hmm. only the middle class and the poor will die. Oh, sure, yeah. And so... That's like the movie Elysium. Yeah. And so that's like... That's what I meant by like... With this intelligence, there's a responsibility. And not only a responsibility to use this intelligence or use these ideas or whatever to make sure that this happens and that we we either figure out a way to fix our planet, which, I mean, scientists have proven it's already irreversible. Yeah, pretty much unless we leave. Yeah, which is, yeah, yeah, which is, and and as humans by themselves, it's nobody else, Mm -hmm. that we need to make sure that it is not an elitist thing where only, like I said, only the rich get to go and the poor stay. I think in some weird ways, that's kind of built into like my philosophy right now that I'm living out. Um, I wrote a paper to Pikes Peak Community College President uh, Michael Bolton about quantum computers, and I urged him that if he were to um, lobby, say, for a quantum computer in Colorado, that it could vastly impact the aerospace industry here. And as I've looked up in research previously, we're the second largest aerospace industry in the nation here in Colorado. So... There's certainly the potential to make this a platform for space exploration here in Colorado. Yep. Now, going back to in terms of like the rich and the haves and the haves nots, have nots, let's say, um, that's why I think that people like me and you should start learning more about stuff like quantum mechanics. Yep. In the paper I wrote to him, I talked about the president, that is, uh, I talked to him about how this kind of technology and this kind of sciences needs to be brought down to the common people. Yeah. Because for most of my life, I've really considered myself a common person. I'm not, I've never considered myself above average in terms of intellect or anything like that. All right, sorry about that. We had a little bit of technical difficulties. But uh, as I was saying, in terms of quantum mechanics and quantum computing, I think it's quintessential that really just kind of average people start learning about this stuff. Um, There's certainly not enough of it on documentaries on TV or anything like that. Sure, if you, you know, brave the depths of YouTube, you can find some pretty legitimate stuff and people talking about great things in terms of it. But what I really want to see is I want to see these mechanics really applied to everyday life because there's certainly applicability for them. The trick is, is that nowadays people are trying to find that out find out what that applicability is. And so going back to the haves and the haves-nots, one of the things that's really concerned me about quantum computing since the beginning 
of finding out about it, that is, uh, is that the only university or college in all of America that has a quantum computer that functions for research purposes is the University of Southern California. Now, you have the United Space Research Agency, the USRA. They also have one, but they're not primarily an academic institution. You also have a couple national laboratories, to include the Los Alamos one, that are using quantum computers, but I can only assume that at that level it's probably top-secret stuff that they're working on, certainly not things that are going to be published for everyday readers. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I think that's something that we've... Something that we have in common is that we've, we definitely agree that there is a sense of urgency in being able to, one, either abolish money or to find a better practice in where we can spread wealth across the board. And for me, because I think that we have very, like our goals are the same in the fact that we want to help people. We just have different ways that we want to do it sure. or envision doing it because before meeting you, I don't think I ever thought about space colonization. So, but, um, I'm glad I could have that effect. Yeah, man. But so like, it's, it's kind of like with, uh, like entrepreneurship that I was talking about in the paper that I wrote was that that's something that we should teach to everyone as a way to make money without having to have a boss or without having to, and that, and, and to me that the idea of that is to know that you can make money without relying on anyone else. Oh yeah. And so in the sense that like getting rid of money, we go back to the idea of like basic human needs, being able to provide for your family, which I think is like every person's right. Absolutely. Um, Think about it, like you work for a boss and your boss is rich and like he goes on vacation and he spends time with his kids and sees the baseball game, but like you don't. Mm -hmm. You don't get to get off work and see the baseball game. And does that mean that his family is more important than, he, than, than your family is? Or does that mean that he was able to build something and you did not? And if you didn't, why didn't you? Right. And so my idea, and this might be like, I don't know, I, I, I don't think it's an extreme idea, is that there's very many cases of like wealth being taken away from certain people and given to others. Now you can fill in the blank with anything you want to fill it in with, but I think that especially coming from lower income housing or like uh, just places where you don't have the same opportunities than other people. If you go to a school that doesn't, where the teachers don't get paid well, you don't get the teachers that care about your future. Yep. If you go to a school that doesn't have very good government funding, then you don't go to the school with the new books. So you don't get the same education. So across the board, you already have five different walls built in front of you before you even graduate. And then you go off to college. And if you can't afford a good college, then where are you at? And, and so, yeah, so this idea that like, that we have like system in, systems in play that like money is the driving force for you to have a good life. And of course, now that doesn't mean that there hasn't been, you know, X factors that have came from homelessness and came from whatever it is and made a million dollars. But I'm saying that the general population of people, um, just like having something where currency isn't a thing, we should also be teaching everyone about wealth and about like being able to live and take care of themselves. Certainly. And I think the key thing going forward as a race is that we remember there's varying levels and degrees of wealth and that it's not all centered around... Uh, I was reading this anthropological paper um, a week ago. This man went to Africa and the Africans were asking him why you have so much cargo. 
cargo was their word for materials. Yeah. You know, like material possessions. Why why do we feel like we have to have so many material possessions? I mean, granted, you know, I have my things that I enjoy, like my Himalayan salt rock lamp and, you know, my fancy water bottle and whatnot, but those things aren't really going to have a positive or negative effect on my life outside of, like, the moment, you know? I mean, sure, you could argue that my salt rock lamp is giving off positive ions, but, like, you know, outside of, like, stuff like that, I mean, it's, it's, you're looking at what's important in your life, you know? And I think, going back to what you said, what's important in your life is that you and your family have everything you need. And if we can get to a point as a whole, as a civilization, where we don't have to give each other everything that we need, that we as a byproduct of our existence, generate everything that we need, then what's next? Once you have everything you need, uh, you know, then you kind of get into the point of like, well, you start developing culture and new things and arts and all that, the philosophies. And I think that that's what we're looking at, or at least we're on the cusp of in this current age of humanity. We're on the cusp of like finding a new way of living that'll allow us to be more fulfilled. And yep. I certainly hope that's the case, you know. We have the means. I think that... And... To take from, like, fulfillment... Um, there was a there was a thing that I had to research from... Uh, I want to get it right. It's the... The federal something of, like, jobs. Whatever it is. Like, it's basically... It's the percentile and number of people that are working in certain fields, certain career fields, certain jobs, all the way from like the top 1% to McDonald's, right? And there's nothing wrong with working at McDonald's, so you know. I've worked at McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> um, so with that being said, it's they did, a, they did um, a survey and they asked people like how many people are depressed at their jobs? And the number was like 80% or something like that. And if we go back to like having to work to provide, then, you know, what kind of fulfillment are we giving people if the only way that they can provide for their family is to be depressed? And most people that work, work at least eight hours a day. And that's one third of your day. If you're depressed one third of your day, more than likely you're depressed the rest of the time. Yeah, good luck getting those you know? two thirds back. Yeah, yeah. And so, and even more, that's if you get to, then you get to sleep some hours. So that's like, what kind of sleep are you getting? Oh, so it's the US Bureau of Labor Statistics. That was where I got the, uh, percents from about depression they did a survey on it sorry about that we had to look it up look it up jamie <laughs> um so if anybody listens to joe rogan that's what that was it yeah was a joke. it's a solid jre yeah. reference yeah but um so you know where do we go from there like that that's the biggest thing and like why when you talk to me about space colonization I was so blown away with your reasoning of why, because I think about those things and like me, I'm like, I, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur when I was 10 years old. Like I grew up and I watched my mom struggle to pay bills and I knew that she was at work for 10 to 12 hours a day. So if you're going to struggle to pay bills, but you work 10 to 12 hours a day, like that's not the life I want to live. No. And even as a kid, I had like this overwhelming understanding of wealth and that I knew for sure I didn't have it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And so kind of like in the big picture, which you said about like your kids and not having to worry about currency, like that's my dream. My dream is like that my son never has to look at a bill and say, oh my God, I don't know if I can pay it. Right. You know, you know what I'm saying? Does it shut off at 300? Did it? No, I'm saying, does it? I don't think so. I think I'm sure it will. We'll edit that. We'll fucking. Yeah. But, um, 
So yeah, so where would we go from there? Like, that's the thing, like, where would we go if, like, what's the next step? That's what I'm saying. It's not where would we go, because we know that the goal is no money, or that there's enough resource, which there is, to have everyone taken care of. So what's the next step? What's the next step? Well, to me, it would seem the next step would be using the technologies that we have right now. So as convenient as it is to have Siri at my whim, ready to go on my Apple Watch Series 4, which I love. Shout out to Apple for that. Um, It's not really like the most useful form of that technology that I can imagine. Now, granted, I'm not the one sitting there coding all this and making sure that Siri understands when I say Siri and not Sirius. But like, you know, um, my point being is that the stuff that we already have that we use for pretty much like luxury items can really find itself useful, I think, when it comes to like manufacturing and economics. Uh, what I want to see next, specifically, is the merging of machine learning, the precursor to artificial intelligence, with quantum computing. Ideally, universal quantum computing. And to explain the difference, um, for the last six years, seven years, Quantum computing has been relegated to what is called quantum annealing, which is basically finding the lowest energy state of a set algorithm and outputting that as the answer. Um, Universal quantum computing has a little bit more to it in terms of that, and without going too deep into like quantum mechanics, what you would basically be able to do is input a problem and output an answer in many different ways. Ideally, in many different coding languages, ideally, I could see, too. So you would be able to input something from computer code to, um, you know, calculus algorithms. But the main reason I want to see machine learning merged with quantum computing is because right now the Chinese have actually developed some interesting technologies in the quantum level. They've developed quantum satellite communication technology, which... Uh, Yonaro and I did the math on it once, I think, and it's something like right now we've got 34 kilometers of quantum transmission range. The Chinese are looking at something like 500 or 600 kilometers. So they're vastly farther ahead of us. And I suspect that what that is is they're using machine machine learning algorithms to keep the transmission signal to noise ratio favorable enough to get to its destination. That shows leaps and bounds further than what we have in terms of uh, publicly knowledgeable quantum computing. So I want to see America step up the game and get to a universal quantum computer that utilizes next-gen artificial intelligence in order to really get what we're looking for with quantum computers, which is entanglement, it's quantum superposition. These things are not happening with adiabatic quantum computing or quantum kneeling right now. And if they are, it's it's a really heavily debated topic. I'm on both sides of the argument. I think that some people have been managing to do it, but it's not something that everyone's doing. And the people that have been able to do it are keeping it hush-hush how they're doing it. What I want to see is that stop. I want to see more quantum computers cranking out more algorithms for economics, for logistics, for stoplights, for Amazon delivery packages. All these things can be optimized. And that's what quantum computing comes down to is optimization. How can we do something that we're doing already better? If we can apply that to in any field, then we're looking at the next step. And the next step would be massive, um, I would imagine, robotics manufacturing. Uh, Once AI can merge with quantum computing and robotics, then what work do we have to do? We don't have to do the math and we don't have to build the things anymore. So we just got to be there to input the codes, you know? Yeah, and so playing the devil's advocate, and giving like a double-edged sword to things, which I think everything is. Um, 
So we're looking at huge advances in space. We're looking at huge advances in AI and robotics, quantum computers, which I only learned about a few months ago when you told me about it. Sure. And I would have never known what to look up if I didn't meet you. Um, so with that being said, like, and I hate to go full circle. Sure. But for me, it's like at the core of the things that we're doing, when do we focus more on the humanity aspect of it compared to like, hey, we can make these things happen. And I'm not saying that it shouldn't be done. So like, I think that all of these things are very necessary for like the advancement of human civilization. But at the same time, like, put yourself in the shoes of like someone that doesn't have a house. Imagine not having a house, but watching a spacecraft. You know what I'm saying? Sure, like that, sure. like uh, it's- So how it's, do we balance? Kind yeah, of yeah. And, and, and so that's like, I'm a huge fan of Tupac. And he talks about people being homeless. And he says that how can someone be homeless when there's another person in the world that has a million dollar jet? Like, how is that okay? How have we made that an okay thing to do? Mm -hmm. um, now, on the part of like AI making everything easier, I think that that right there, like if we could have something that could build houses and we didn't have to pay people to do it, sure. then does that mean that houses could be free? If we had, if we had something to plant all our foods, to do the crops, to take care of it in and out of season, that means we don't have to pay the farmer. Exactly. That means it would be that. That means that it would be free. So, Could it be free? So that goes back to what I mentioned earlier: the term ephemeralization, mm -hmm. the ability to do everything with nothing. I think that we're at a very interesting um, point. I guess you could even say axis where our technology is going to offer that in our lifetimes. Yeah. It 100% is. I have no doubts about that. You look at some of the things that Elon Musk is doing, like Neuralink. Yeah. The, the ramifications that would have alone on the household life are vast, if not innumerable. And going forward, I think that the trick is going to be maintaining open source um, availability on a lot of these technologies. The days past where alien spaceships can crash land in the deserts in New Mexico and the only people that get to benefit from it are the Air Force are long past. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think nowadays if you were to have something like the Roswell crash happen somewhere in Colorado, that technology would be spread so far. Like the government wouldn't even have time to hop in and shut everyone up and say this is classified. It would just be almost like at that point a disclosure because... Yeah. What I think is happening now is we're getting to the point where our technologies are capable of more than what the classified technologies are. Yes. So anything that, you know, they, they always said when I was growing up, they, the adults, I guess, that like the military something like 25 to 50 years ahead of everyone else. Yeah. You know as well as I do from serving that that's not true. Yeah, that's not so true at all. If that's true, it would have to be in the classified section of yep. the military and what i'm genuinely convinced of nowadays is that our baseline technology available to you and me at best buy is on par with the most secretive secret technologies we've ever had on earth yeah now what that means though that means that eventually we're gonna get better than the military if they don't fess up and say that they've had these things all along and what that means is that we're on the same boat as the military and the defense departments, essentially, in terms of technology. The yep. civilian and military technological structure is going to be meeting soon. They're going to balance out. And when that happens, I think that there's going to be some really interesting things that happen. Yep. Because what you'll see, take, for instance, University of Southern California's Quantum Computing Center. Take, on the other hand, Los Alamos's Quantum Computing Center. I don't know anything about the Los Alamos one. It's top secret, I assume. Yeah. But I can tell you all the research that the United, or sorry, the University of Southern California is doing on theirs. Now, what's going to happen is eventually we're going to surpass the Los Alamos lab at USC. 
And then the Los Alamos lab is going to be asking USC what's up. Yep. And I think that that needs to happen with technology across the board. We need to get to this point where people have more interest in technology. People have an interest to learn about the technology. Because I think in a way that once we learn about these things, we're kind of taking away the power that the elites have by making that technology monopolized. Yep. And that that's going to be the real magical time. Well, you know what? And, and the thing is, so... One, I, I 100% agree with you. And I think that one of the prime examples of using your technology and being able to advance yourself with it, and this isn't like AI, this isn't the Neuralink, things like that, because one day it might be inevitable that you just have technology connected to you. Sure. But many people have said, we already have technology connected to us you have your phone in your pocket. And like my mother was in her sixties and she grew up in a time where like phones were non-existent. <laughs> and to think back, like pull out the dictionary, mm-hmm. pull out the encyclopedia. Nowadays that's Hey Siri. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so like the thing is it, it's like I said, the devil's advocate, how many people have phones, but they don't get smarter by using them. How many people have Google, but instead of looking up things in a career field or looking up things that could help them in their day-to-day life, they're looking up memes. And I love memes, all right? Sure, me But I also use my phone for things about personal training and looking up how astronauts get in shape and diets and exercise and all these different things that matter to me and my future and the more knowledge that I have now, I feel like it's more beneficial to me, Um, which is something I don't think everybody values. Sure, I agree. And so with that being said, like, I think that we could, tomorrow morning, if we woke up and there was a machine that said, hey, I can answer every single question that you ever... Well, so just to jump in real quick, I've heard that called a Santa Claus machine before. The okay. idea that you can have a device that gives everything, or people, gives everyone what they want, essentially. Yeah. Well, see, and this is what I was going to say, like, not, not even gives, but if there, was a, if there was something where you could ask it any question, and it would answer it, but we called it, like, the answer machine, then people would be like, oh my god, line up to go use it. But yet, your phone does that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, it's just the appeal of yeah, something yeah. That's so, separate somehow. Yeah, it's like so a novelty. Exactly. And even more, if it was something you had to pay for, if it was something that was like, oh man, I'm a class above you because I get to go to the answer machine. I mean, that's how I feel with my Apple Watch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it, it, but that's the but that's the thing is that like we almost live in a in a world where like. People limit their education based on what they believe in themselves. And the prime example would be something that we're going to talk about in, in, in future episodes is like veterans not going to college. Oh, yeah. So like you limit your education or you limit your knowledge based on what you think you are capable of. What you think you deserve almost is how I would break it down. But if you talk to anyone who's gone to college in the past couple of years, they probably know about something called neuroplasticity. Yeah. The brain's ability to essentially continue to learn regardless of its state. Exactly. Um, Yeah, man. I I think that there's there's so much that we can, like, unpack with, you know, just technology, with economics, with, you know— especially like space colonization, which I think could be 30 more episodes. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Um, Do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, my final thought on this would basically be that as consumers, our dollar counts as the equivalent to our vote. And these companies make products based off of these votes that they get from us. Now, the lack of a vote 
equates to us not really wanting something when it comes to the capitalist markets. So what I propose is that every listener really examines their core values about what they want from life and about what they want to do with life. I myself ask myself the question, what do I want to see in life? How can I get there? And will it help other people? And that's how I got to physics and ultimately space colonization. What I challenge everyone listening here to do is to think about what they want the future to be like and what ways they can influence it, micro or macro, and to do those things. Because that's what I've done, and I think that's what you've done. And some of the brightest people I've heard about and met, that's what they're continuing to do. Yeah. And so I think that's really the secret, is to just figure out what's important to you and to pursue it relentlessly. Yeah, man. So my final thought is going to go back to two things. The first one is going to be that with intelligence comes an obligation to better humanity. Sure. And so to 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 fit into what you said, um, I think everybody's passion for life should be that they're trying to give a better life to others or in a way help others, whether it's your family, whether it's your group of friends, whatever it is. And then the other thing is, is that we're living in a time where education and knowledge is at your fingertips. And everybody now has a fair chance to change the world, in my opinion. I never thought when I was growing up that I would be somebody that would, one, be doing a podcast like this because I didn't even talk the same. (laughs) Uh, Two, to think that I would have a positive impact on anyone, even if it's just one person. Um, so with that being said, you know, use the knowledge that you have, use the things that you have at your fingertips, like your phone, um, and moving forward, everything should be about the greater good. And I think that at least if you wake up every morning and you say, I'm going to do one thing towards a goal, towards helping somebody or towards even just helping yourself if you really need it that you are making the world a better place. Absolutely, man. I totally agree with that. All right. Well, it's been good. Thank you all for joining us, listeners. Yep. Thanks for listening. And uh, you catch us on our next episode. Weekly content promised. Hell yeah.